Hello, it's Wednesday, January the 5th. I'm Andrew Pearce and this is The Andrew Pearce Show coming from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up... We're going to tell you how smartphone apps can actually help you build your savings. Also, could you give up meat? Could you do a vegan January? I'm talking to the head of a charity who thinks you should. Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, wants to decriminalise cannabis in certain parts of London as a pilot scheme. The Labour leader disagrees with him. The continuing problems over Covid, now but around 1.3 million people are isolating, many in the NHS, which is leading to critical incidents in a number of trusts. So, more than a million people are now thought to be isolating after testing positive for coronavirus, including thousands and thousands of NHS staff. Such is the situation now. Some NHS trusts have declared critical incidents as winter pressures are combining with staffing problems triggered by the pandemic. Is there a solution to this? Dr Leila McKay is Director of Policy at the NHS Confederation and she joins me now. Dr McKay, one, the Prime Minister is under pressure, which he appears to be resisting so far, to reduce the isolation period from COVID from uh, seven days to five, which is what's happening in large parts of the United States and I understand it's going to happen in France too. Would you be comfortable with that happening or would you be concerned that that might increase then the risk of more spreading of the infection? Well, on the one hand, you're absolutely right that the NHS is having this huge challenge at the moment with so many staff being off sick due to COVID-19. So clearly, we're really interested in different ways of um, making sure that as many staff as possible are able to work. Um, in terms of whether we should reduce the um, the isolation period, I mean, in some ways, this is a question for the scientists, isn't it? Because clearly it would be helpful um, if we were able to have more staff um, isolating for a shorter period, if that was to be safe. But if um, these staff would then end up coming back while they're still infectious, that would very clearly be counterproductive. So... I think that we are in the hands of the scientists and we're looking to them to do that review and let us know if they consider it to be safe and appropriate to bring staff back um, at a different time and we'll we'll take that advice. The Hawks, if they're the right ne- if it's the right name for these people on the Conservative benches, Dr. McKay say, look, most people now who are going down with the Omicron variant, it's the equivalent of a cold, sometimes a mild cold. Why are we crippling the entire NHS for with people having colds? That wouldn't happen normally. So why are we changing the rules because of COVID? Well, what we're seeing is that while quite a good proportion of people are having less severe symptoms, that's not the case for everyone. So clearly people are, um, many people are, are not becoming quite as sick as with previous uh, previous variants. And that's because some of them have ha- um, had their vaccinations or they've got um, additional immunity because of um, previous infection. It might be something to do with the virus itself. It might also be to do with the better ways that we have to look after people who do have COVID. Uh, But nevertheless, there are still people who are needing to be in hospital because of the Omicron variant. There's about 15,000 people in hospital right now because of uh, or with COVID, either because (laughs) because they're sick with COVID or because they they have it for other reasons. Um, 
And as well as that, there are people who are in intensive care. There's fewer at the moment, but there are there are people who are in intensive care. And what we're also worried about is that so far, the bulk of the people who've had the Omicron uh, variant COVID have been younger people, whereas now over the festive period older people have been increasingly exposed to the variant and now they are um, presenting with uh, COVID infection due to Omicron and what we don't know yet is whether that might affect them differently and that might have a different profile in terms of whether people need to end up needing hospital care so to be honest it's still it might feel that you've heard about Omicron for ages, but actually it's only been around for a few weeks still and we're still learning more about it and, and what it's going to mean. But I don't think that there's there's any room for complacency at this stage. Sure. And in your experience, we've seen a number of trusts now declaring critical incidents. Can you explain, Dr K, what that in fact means in real terms, uh, how badly they are impacted? Well... A hospital would declare a critical incident if they were really concerned that for whatever reason, their ability to deliver care in a safe and appropriate way might be about to be impacted. So a hospital might declare a critical incident if there were so many staff absent, for example, Mm. that they were worried that that was going to really significantly affect how they were able to deliver care. Now, it's not a matter of saying how many hospitals have declared it and thus that's how many are having difficulties. It's not quite such a linear relationship. People will declare a critical incident for all sorts of reasons, but when they do, what it means is they have more access to support from from neighbouring healthcare settings that might be able to help them with with some of those challenges. So it would depend on, you know, on on what what the reason was that they might choose to... uh, declare a critical incident and obviously that can be really helpful and important but there are also clearly lots of other ways of being able to deal with this challenge so different hospitals will approach this in different ways but I do think that what we can see is that the increasing number of hospitals that are declaring critical incidents or are declaring distress in various other ways is really quite telling that uh, things are very, very challenging at the moment. And, you know, it's not just COVID. It's not just staff absences. It's also the fact that there's an increased amount of urgent and emergency care demand right now, uh, as well as people, of course, trying to make some inroads into that elective backlog. So it's a... It's a bit of a perfect storm at the moment. I was just about to say, we've, we've heard that expression before. It does seem like, if I could ask you just finally, Dr. Gay, there has been talk, they've used, they've deployed the military before in, in terms of trying to boost the rollout of the vaccine. Can the military help in any way in some of these trusts which are ex- declaring critical incidents in your view? Well, the NHS has got a long-standing partnership with the armed forces and they've helped in all sorts of ways during the pandemic, whether that's... Um, staffing testing units whether it's um helping with the vaccine program building (laughs) building the nightingale hospitals delivering ppe to nhs staff all sorts of different ways so it may well be the case that they are um another route in the all hands on deck approach that is really being needed at the moment to keep our services running well all right. Well, that's very interesting. That's Dr. Leila McKay. She's the Director of Policy for the NHS Federation, who's clearly flat out herself. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pierce Show for free, in full, along with our other podcasts and video series. Don't forget to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News.
London Mayor Sadiq Khan wants to decriminalise drugs with a proposed pilot programme that would see young adults caught with marijuana, spared from arrest and instead offered speeding course style classes. This trial would run in select London boroughs, but it's already run into opposition from the Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, who insists he is against any softening of laws on drugs. Joining me now to talk about this is Andy Cook, who's Chief Executive of the Centre for Social Justice, who's seen firsthand the damage cannabis can cause to communities. Andy, you've written a very powerful piece in the Mail today. Perhaps if you could just tell us about your first-hand experience and when you did work with a charity, working with young people to do with drugs. Yeah, my friend and I founded a charity some 15 or so years ago, and I worked for it for many years, working in uh, the estates, deprived estates in Loughborough, Leicester, Derby, working with kids to try and help them achieve their incredible potential. These are kids who are really struggling, you know, kicked out of school, those um, who, who weren't in work, those with kind of real tough family backgrounds, etc. And our, our work was amazing, working with some of the, they were the best young people I've, I'd met ever. Um, and, and the work was hard, it was hard yards. Um, it was made even harder by drug usage, particularly cannabis usage, which made, made the, the stuff we were trying to do impossible at times. And, and I guess this, this, is, this is the point I'm trying to raise here, that any move towards decriminalizing that, uh, the use of this, to making this feel okay in these areas and right to do, is really dangerous move. And um, those that are working right on the front lines with these kids that are amazing but really challenged and challenging will tell you the same thing we want less use of cannabis not more of it and not even the slight potential of more of it his point the mayor of london's is look the current policy on drugs isn't working we've got county line drug gangs now we've we've seen more and more stabbings and and gun crime particularly in london a lot of which will be linked to uh the drug drug trade so he's saying, why don't we try something different? What, what's wrong with that? Well, firstly, I think his premise is wrong. There's elements that aren't working, of course, but there are elements that are working of the law. You know, large swathes of society do obey, do obey the law. When the CSJ did a, um, a, a paper on this in 2018, uh, we, we did a significant polling exercise where it found that uh, you know, there's about three quarters of people that don't use cannabis. But of those people that didn't, this is young people, a quarter of them would if the law was relaxed or changed and it was legalized. So you've got, you know, if you extrapolate those figures across young people across the country, you've got a million people that are saying that they would use it if the law changed. So, so let, let's be quite honest in this area. The law is stopping people from using cannabis as is. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a, a proportion of people that are using it and we have to deal with those in a different way. And we have to find ways to really engage them, change their lives, divert them from it, etc. Absolutely. But softening everything will make a bigger pool of people to work with. You know, if, if you know, we, we use conservative figures of one in 10 and who use cannabis end up becoming addicted to it. Now, if you take it, that million figure, that's 100,000 new, new addicts in that way. So I think we have to, protect the law because it's protecting people but at the same time work with those that are really struggling in this area and find schemes to do it so that's where i slightly refute this narrative that everything's not working it is working for a wider population we've just got to uh, knuckle down onto those that are really struggling with it 
I, when I was looking into this, uh, Andy, I was just looking at what's happened in Holland. So Amsterdam, famously, of course, as you know, had those coffee shops where you could go in and you could order a cake which would be laced with cannabis, all legal. But in the it, very recently, that has now been outlawed for anybody but non-locals for anybody but locals because they don't want non-locals turning up because they say and i'm quoting the government what it did was attract a motley crew of drug criminals hustlers parasites and extortionists if we went down the sadiq khan route in london of decriminalizing drugs the chances are that would happen in london well yeah i i think i think we really need to hear from the mayor what he's planning here we really need to hear how strong he's going to stay on the fact that this is an illegal substance, um, you know, because if it doesn't, it opens the doors to all that. And, and not just those guys, but the businesses that will thrive off this. This is a, a market for people that aren't interested in, in changing lives and saving lives. They're actually interested in getting them hooked on this stuff. So we've got to remember all that. So I, I'm really keen to hear from the mayor, his exact um, premise on this and how strong he's going to say the law is. And yes, the CSJ does back diversionary schemes but to, for diversionary schemes to work you've got to have the law that's strong and then you've got to have alternatives for young people and we would get behind that but I, we need to hear from the mayor because if he opens this door there will be loads that come in like we've seen in Amsterdam who are now trying to u-turn on it but the genie's out the bowl yeah and of course some of the symptoms of people who are addicted to cannabis andy you know this better than me psychosis hallucinations depression difficulty concentrating it can even i think lead to um pro problems with people's hearts you know we move the the, the, the medical side of this away from this because that's a totally different discussion and debate but on, sure. you know, recreational cannabis use is really dangerous we probably can all tell stories of people we know who've been heavy users and undergone all those symptoms that you've just mentioned andrew and i certainly saw it on the front right lines, left right and center and again if you're trying to get young people into work if you're trying to get them to stay in education then this stuff is just so dangerous and the, the tragic fact is that a lot of people that are pushing this have already got jobs a lot of people that are, are pushing this kind of agenda are already settled in families and homes and mortgages and all the rest and they're going from their point of view but if you've got none of those which many of the young people we deal with uh, don't you know CSJ talks about these pathways to poverty poor education worklessness debt and addiction um, uh, family breakdown if all of those things are in play and you throw in drugs in that way your ch life chances are far far behind the rest of us uh, indeed are you encouraged that Keir Starmer at least the leader of the Labour Party is not going down this route yeah I am I'm, I'm encouraged I, I'm actually pleased in a funny way Andrew that we're, we're having discussions on this type of thing because I hope what it'll lead to is ideas of rehabilitation ideas of investment into young people. I mean, th there's things that can be done outside of this. So yeah, I'm really pleased that Kia is say, saying this kind of language. And I'm keen, I'm really pleased as well that we're actually having this debate on, on areas that are absolutely critical uh, because hopefully they'll, they'll push government, they'll push opposition to come up with initiatives that will change lives whilst keeping the law strong and keeping those that aren't using it away from using it we don't want to normalize this culture in our uh, estates and communities and and that's that's a big fear in this i quite agree with you that's andy cook who's chief executive of the center for social justice and if you haven't read his piece today in the mail you should because it's very powerful thanks for joining us
Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to our podcasts, our videos, opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boyd Pierce. We often talk about dry January, giving up the demon booze after the Christmas and New Year's success. What about Veganary? an annual challenge run by the UK non-profit charity to encourage people to follow a vegan lifestyle for the month of January. Since its launch in 2014, participation has doubled each year and it expects to reach the milestone of 2 million participants by the end of this month. Joining me now is Dr Tony Vanelli, who is the Head of Communications and Marketing for the Veganary Charity, uh, who presumably, Dr Vanelli, you are vegan yourself, or do you just do it for the month? No, I am vegan myself. I've actually been vegan for more than 30 years now. Right. Um, Why do you think this is now beginning to take off so well, and why do you think it's important that we should do it? I think it's increased in popularity for two main reasons, really. People are becoming more aware of the issues, you know, that their health benefits, the environmental impact of plant-based foods is often lower, um, but also because there's so many more products available for people. You know, back when I went vegan, you had to pretty much cook from scratch. There wasn't a lot of ready-made food out there, whereas now there are really substitutes for pretty much everything that you eat with animal products in it. So it's just so much easier to do it now. And your, your, now yours, your organization, it's a charity. What, what does the charity do, Dr. Vanelli? We really do just two things. Um, we do the pledge series. So this is, you know, encouraging people to sign up to try vegan, primarily yep. in January, but they can actually yep. sign up any time of year and they get loads of free help and support with that. And then we do a lot of work with businesses as well. So we actually help businesses to develop new plant-based products, to market them. We sort of guide them on where the gaps still are in the market, you know, and, and how to reach people and let them know, you know, what people are looking for from plant-based products and how do you know you've got to you'll you'll, you might get two million participants by then do they sign up to this pledge with you on january the first or perhaps the day uh, at the end of december yeah they can actually sign up any time of year um, although most people do do it right at the end of december beginning of january so yeah on our website they just register with their email so that they can get all the free support and we actually passed um two million participants yesterday afternoon so we've already hit that milestone yeah very good now um you tell me if you could what so as a vegan what will you be having for dinner tonight if you're cooking at home yeah, I am cooking at home tonight and I'm doing spaghetti bolognese. So right. it'll just be your normal dried pasta because most of that is vegan as it comes. Um, and then a couple of tins of tomatoes. I use um, a, a frozen soya mince. I mean, there's loads of different brands out there you can get. Mm. And then just the same spices and herbs that you'd put into right. you know, a meat-based bolognese. And do you think it's as tasty as um, the meat-based one? I mean, it's been a long, long time since I had the yeah, first one. Of course, but yeah. Certainly, uh, my boyfriend, who has only been veggie a couple of years, he loves it. You know, a lot of Does the, the yeah. meat yeah. alternatives he says are just as good. And do you find that most of the people who are signing up, Dr. Vanelli, are younger people, or are they uh, all all ages? Oh, now this is interesting because one would assume that it's going to be the younger generation, but actually our peak sign-up age is between 25 and 55. So Ah. it's pretty level, you know, between that that wide 
group. It's pretty level. Um, the 18 to 25s are lower. And then we still do have a steady level of sign-ups, you know, from 55 all the way to 70 plus. And um, how many do you hope, Dr. Benelli, at the end of January will continue and, be, and stick with veganism? Well, we certainly hope that everyone finds some changes they're going to make permanently in their diet. But we know that for most people, you know, changing your whole diet takes time. So our surveys we do at the end of the pledge, we find about 40% plan to stay vegan at the end. And then the rest intend to reduce the amount of animal products they're eating. And we know people do it year after year. So they might do it, you know, for three years and then mm. stay vegan because it is it's a big change to your life. Yeah, and was there uh, was there a uh, Paul on the road to Damascus moment for you, Dr. Vanelli, when you decided to go vegan? There really was, yeah. I mean, I've always loved animals. And um, when I found out that meat came from animals, I was pretty appalled. <laughs> even as a small child, I didn't like the idea of eating animals. So I kind of knew then, even when I was very young, that I didn't want to do it. And it was meeting a, a teacher in when I was in secondary school who had been vegetarian her whole life. And I thought, wow, this is possible, you know, and, and learned more about nutrition. And then I was able to make the change myself. And you don't regret it a bit. You sound you sound thrilled that you did it. Yeah, absolutely. And we get that comment a lot from our participants. You know, they all, they say the only regret I have is I didn't do it sooner. Very interesting. Well, the best of luck with it. That's Dr. Tony Vanelli. She's head of communications, international head of communications and marketing for the Veganary Charity. It's that time of the programme, first time of the year when I'm talking sport, which, as you know, means I'm talking about stuff I know very little about. But Matt Gatford, who is our deputy sports editor, who's here to keep me uh, uh, to keep me up to date with what's been going on now. Uh, we're showing a bit of fight in Sydney in the cricket. We are, yes. Or is it the rain stop play that's ha- well, saving our blushes? Well, possibly the rain has helped, but right. um, England, uh, yeah. The, so obviously, there's two tests to go, and all that t- uh, is to be played for now is for England to play for a bit of pride. Because we've lost three nil and badly. We're three nil down. The Ashes yep. are gone. So there's yep. two tests to go. Uh, you know, there's the sort of nature of uh, one of these tours and these test series is that even though you've lost, you still have to carry on. Yeah, so yeah. they've got two tests to go, uh, and they could do with salvaging a bit of pride they've started well in sydney overnight uh australia 120 for three so it's you know it's yeah. in the balance look right. england are clutching at whatever they can get so the yeah. fact that they've dismissed three aussie batsmen reasonably cheaply yeah. uh including including the new world number one manus labuschagne uh and have them 123 is a source of some hope to cling on to so Very yeah good. decent start but we'll know more over the next couple of days about how this one plays out all right now toxic at united i presume this is manchester united yeah so lost the other day they did they did they did indeed they at lost home to, to wolves. wolves they lost at home to wolves first so, time they've lost uh, home to wolves in 42 years are you proud of that right. i knew that. that's incredible there statistic um so yeah new new year but same old problems at united even though they've got the new manager in ralph rannick he's come just in. a temp is he well he's this, this bizarre situation they've got themselves into where they've brought him in on an interim basis right. till the end of the season at which yeah. point he then moves upstairs in some sort of um okay. uh in some sort of role where he's overseeing, you know, yeah. director of football type role, which, you know, if he's an abject failure over the next uh, five months, why then would, why you do would that? they want him upstairs yeah. to direct the proceedings? So, but anyway, that's it, it's it's uh, that's one of the problems. The the other um, uh, uh, 
detail that we've got um, that was in today's sports mail is the fact that the players, morale with amongst the players is an all-time low. There's lots of splits in the camp. Uh, there's lots of players who want out. I mean, this is Manchester United we're talking Amazing. about. Players should want in, yeah. not out of Man glamorous United. Teams. What's today with that chap who's... Uh, does it begin with R? Uh, who came in... He's quite old now, 36, Ronal- 37. Ronaldo? Ronaldo, yeah. Is, yeah. He, is he regretting not going to Manchester City, well, which he, had been rumoured? Well, he, yeah, I mean, he was close to going to Man City. I mean, he is amazed. I, I don't know about whether he regrets returning, but he... We understand that he is amazed at the drop-in standards uh, at Manchester United now compared to the Alex Ferguson era when he was first there. Um, and so he thinks that it's uh, been a remarkable drop-off that... Um, uh, and and he uh, as another one of those players who's amazed at the sort of uh, the mood in the camp, mm. um, the fact that so many players want out. There's uh, divisions in the amongst the uh, amongst the playing staff. So there's cliques, um, and the body language is appalling. And the manager has got this massive job on his hands now after that defeat to get them into the top four, yeah. which is obviously what he was brought in to do: get them back into the top four, make sure they have Champions League football next season. And you know they're they're adrift in that race at the moment. So and you're. Try not to look too pleased about it because your team, Arsenal, are actually in fourth place. They are at the moment, although Tottenham, who are behind them, have games in hand on them. And the next game in the Premier League for Arsenal is against Tottenham. So that's a massive game in that race for four. In race for fourth. Uh, that game is at Tottenham, um, and that will be that will have a huge bearing. I mean, look, there's still quite a long way to yeah. go, but you know that will have a huge bearing on the mood of those two teams going forward. Because um, uh, as I say, Tottenham got games yeah. in hand and should, if they win those games in hand, would overtake Arsenal. So if Arsenal can can win that one and put a bit of distance between them and Tottenham, that would be uh, a big boom. They were very very unlucky in the Man City game recently, uh, Arsenal when they lost two one in the last uh, couple of minutes. Mm. But again, that was a sign that at least they can compete now because. Yeah. Earlier in the season against these bigger clubs, they were just getting hammered sort of four and five nil. So, yeah, yeah things are, are on the up, you could say. Also. And talking of Manchester City, we'll save till later in the week discussion of the really most oh, compelling fixture massive. Manchester City are placing this one in the third round of the FA Cup when they go to a ground called the County Ground. It's incredible. In Swindon, in my hometown, my yeah. home club, who are languishing in about seventh place in Division Two. Well, languishing? Well, they're not doing that. Well, well really? it's not bad, is it? Yeah, I mean, right. this I is, yeah, game of the weekend without a doubt. Which Sadly, is... I can't be there because I'll be working. Yeah, otherwise I would, Me and too. I'd have volunteered to write a piece for you. Yeah, I know it's a shame we don't we won't need that piece. Um, but uh, but we'll talk about it on Friday. Yes, okay. Because look before to then, that. because obviously it's going to be a closely fought encounter. <laughs> right. Somebody called Lukaku says sorry. Now is he a footballer? So Lukaku is Chelsea centre forward who oh, they right. bought for a hundred million, uh, give or take. How ridiculous was in, that then? in the summer? How ridiculous was that? He... Was he worth it? Well, not so far. He um, <laughs> My point about these overpriced players. He is on probably about 300 grand a week as well. Um, <gasps> you'll be pleased to hear. Yeah. Now, he gave his, he, they bought, Chelsea bought him from Inter Milan, who couldn't really afford to keep him at the end of last season because mm. they were in financial difficulties because of COVID, etc. They sold him to Chelsea for, as I say, nine hundred million. He then, uh, last week, gave an interview to, to um Italian media outlet saying how much he missed Inter, how he could get on with the Chelsea manager. Did um, he really? Yeah, bizarre. Where's the loyalty in these I know, people? I know, well, he, I mean, because he was talking to so, an Italian media outlet, he was just saying... Well, did you think it would get oh, reported I here? know. Have you not knows? heard of the internet? Well, and he's a bright bloke, Lukaku. Really? You know, he's, a, he's 28. He's not 19. He's 28-year-old, uh, you know, intelligent guy. He should be Dr. Munt's salary. Well, he has, actually. Two weeks' wages. Oh, which well, he really missed that. 
Well, I mean, yeah. For, uh, well, imagine if you or I got fined seven hundred grand. That would be a kick <laughs> well, in the. I'd have to sell my home. Exactly, but for him, yeah, it's uh, it will it will barely scratch the surface. Yeah. But he is. Um, so he so he gave this interview. Said how you know questioning the tactics of the coach and how um, unhappy he was, which was his word. I mean, you know, massive football love nothing better than this sort of saga, you know, especially when the player's expensive. So Tuchel, uh, the Chelsea manager, uh, came out and said, you know, how disappointed he was. Lukaku was forced to make an apology. Well, forced, I don't know. I say forced. He may have voluntarily mm. uh, made an apology on Chelsea TV last night where he said to the fans how sorry he was and how he's going to do his best uh, for the club from now on. So uh, Chelsea say that's the matter over and he'll be back in the squad, uh, back in the squad for tonight's game actually against... Uh, against Tottenham so he could well start tonight and he'll have a point to prove and it'll be interesting to see what reception he gets from the fans at Stamford Bridge yeah. tonight uh, when he when he reappears now they uh, back in the, well they may do they may give him a hard time or they may you know it's not in their interest to boo him no. because he's their best player well and one who, of their best they players so they're playing Tottenham oh yeah who coincidentally yeah. are managed by Antonio Conte who right. was Lukaku's manager when he was at Inter Milan so small world football small world it? football and, well it all uh, sounds fascinating and um, all good fun come on England or actually I I think we should hope that the rain continues yes, to stop playing. I think a bit Probably. of rain might be the best bet. Absolutely. That's Matt Gatwood giving me my latest education in the world of sport. Deputy Sports Editor, thanks for joining us. So just imagine if you could put away money every time you turn on your dishwasher. As long as the dishwasher is not your partner, of course. A new app, which is called If This Then That, allows you to do just that by connecting to gadgets in your home and it can help users save thousands. It's just one of a new generation of apps which help you put money away and build up a nest egg. Money Mail reporter Amelia Murray, no stranger to this podcast, has found some easy ways to help you save using apps from your smartphone. Amelia, I'm I'm amazed. How does it work then when you put the dishwasher on that you save some money? How does it work? This is just one example of how our yeah. technology is helping us financially. Um, basically, th- this app um, is very clever, and it yeah. basically integrates smart devices and services and your other apps so that they can all work together, and you can actually simply program them to, to work together. So, for example, um, in the story, I spoke to one gentleman who had a number of smart home devices Um, One was a flick switch on his dishwasher. Um, Another was a door sensor. He also had a sleep analyzer. I don't know if this is making any sense to you, but it was very interesting to talk to him. And because, you know, they were all connected to his smartphone, using this app, um, he could then integrate them all together with his bank. So he is a Monzo Bank customer, which is a mobile bank. So it's very good at the digital stuff already. And so by simply you know, creating these commands and coming up with these savings challenges, he basically can now turn on his dishwasher with this smart device um, and he's programmed it so that every time he turns it on, 5p will go towards his gas bill and 10p will go towards his electric bill. Um, In the same way, he's making savings every time he opens his door and the door sensor is triggered. Um, If he goes to bed too late, as detected, by his sleep analyzer he's then yeah. saving money you know it, it to basically inspire him to go to bed earlier which he said he was very bad at um so this is like a very um technical focused um app however if you don't have all the gadgets around the home 
um, but you do have a Monzo bank account, you can do some of um, the simpler ones, if you will. So, um, for example, you could save money every time it rains in your area or every time the temperature goes above or below a certain temperature. Um, you can also set up challenges where, you know, there's a 1p savings challenge. So you save 1p on the 1st of January, 2p on the 2nd, 3p, and then so on. You can do it in reverse. You can save a pound a week. Um, so they're kind of like, you know, these are not new challenges, but the technology behind them to make them, you know, automatic. Is. And it's working. It's working very well, isn't it? Because um, uh, Simon, who the dishwasher man, he put aside almost two thousand pounds, as he says, without making any noticeable cutbacks or sacrifices. You've also talked to um, the primary school teacher. She saved three thousand pounds by taking part in a number of challenges. One involves saving one p on January the first and increasing the amount by a penny every day. It's they're yeah. small bits, but it all adds up, I suppose. Exactly. So I think for like, you know, for the everyday person who does have a smartphone, but doesn't have, you know, all the technology in their home, these are really good ways of money being saved without you realizing it's these small sums regularly that can lead mm. to thousands of pounds of savings by the end of the year. Um, and, you know, there are kind of other ways that you can save as well. Like when I was researching the story, um, I use an app called Strava, which basically records how far I run. You can also, you know, how far you cycle or how, how far you walk. And you could basically integrate that app so that you are rewarded every time you walk, say, I don't know, a kilometer or two kilometers or 10,000 steps. So it's kind of inspiring not only good behavior, but also savings. I, there was another guy I spoke to who um, he basically took a pound and put it into a savings account every time he used the vending machine at work. Um, right. It's a bit like, I don't know if you had it, but my dad tried to um, introduce a swear box when we were younger, yeah. where yeah. he'd take a pound from us every time we said a bad word. Um, You're right. But unfortunately, we didn't have any money when we were little, so I don't think it really took off. Um, no. But it's those kind of things where, you know, with a new year comes, you know, a new set of resolutions. Lots I of think people it's very clever. Improving their finances, but perhaps also their health. So you can kind of combine them and, um, yeah, and make it work for you both ways. So, um, what about you and the dishwasher then? Are you going to do it, or do you get do you get do you get your marigolds out and wash it wash it up yourself? You know what I do. I, I when I moved into my flat four years ago, I was like, woohoo, we've got a dishwasher here, and me and my brother have never used it. It's really, aren't you good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I very think, environmentally friendly. I, I think so, but also I just felt perhaps. It's just another job, isn't it? It's kind of like a false economy. You put it in, but then you have to empty it. I know. But do you do the washing up every time, or does your brother take his turn? This is very important, (laughs) Amelia. We do our own. Right. Even more important. They're having gourmet dinners every night, and uh, someone needs to take care of all the washing up. uh, We're quite independent. (laughs) Quite right, too. Very good answer. That's the Money Mail reporter, Amelia Murray, who's got some really, really clever ways to help save money by using apps for your smartphones. Amelia, of course, I'd be hopeless because I've only got about four apps on my smartphone, as you know. Well, New Year's resolution. Yes. Get some more helpful ones. Yes, but I need somebody under the age of 32 to help me because I'm hopeless. So I'll be coming your way. I'll be coming your way. That's Amelia Murray. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. 
Every weekday at 5pm you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night. Good night.